Well, good morning. It is church season, and uh, yesterday was the egg hunt that uh, we partnered in. We had the Trinity and Alive egg hunt at, uh, at Alive and Central, and uh, as he mentioned, we're involved with our, our other campus, Alive uh, Pleasant View in, in Belton, and uh, that's where we were, Megan and I and our 11-month-old son, almost 11-month-old son, Fisher. Um, we had a blast. Pleasant View, a live Pleasant View launched a year ago. And uh, this is a victory that because we're partnering churches, you guys get to share in too. So listen to this. Last year for Easter, we, we launched the new Alive campus. And there were about 65 people. Yesterday for the egg hunt, there were 109 brand new faces, plus everyone else who was there. We had about 400 people there, and um, so we're very, very glad. I, I hear that at Alive Central, there were a 1,000 people. And uh, I'm also sent, I've been sent with a, just a thank you from Pastor Stephanie, the children's pastor at Alive, and from the staff, just a huge thank you to our Trinity partners. Um, we had over a 1,000 people, and there are are just so many reports of conversations, and she goes on and on, and this is coming officially to you all soon as well, uh, that there were so many talking about, well, I wonder if we, if we uh, start coming to church here. I wonder if we start now going to church, hearing the kids tell their parents, we got to do this thing, you know? So that's so amazing. It is church season. For my 11-month-old son, um, who has been raised in the church I am really having my eyes open to how brave he is. Uh, the Easter egg hunt at Pleasant View had a petting zoo, and we took a picture with a rabbit. And I was looking at the camera, and I looked down, and he's got his hand in the rabbit's mouth. And uh, he's just laughing about it. I mean, he thinks, he thinks it's amazing. <laughs> You know, the dad and me said, whoa, whoa, get that away. So um, that's, uh, those are the things I'm getting used to. And as soon as he starts walking, which will probably be like this afternoon, uh, we're going to be, uh, we're gonna have to be on our toes about it. So it, really fun day yesterday. Yesterday was also a big day here in Orange Country. Uh, about 60,000 people all got together at Memorial Stadium, Stadium to celebrate uh, South Carolina women's basketball winning the national championship. No, not at all, actually. Uh, we got together to celebrate the Tigers. Uh, it is interesting. Yesterday at the egg hunt, we talked about the Gamecocks, and I've been in, I was in a room with the most Gamecocks I have been in in a while. There were three of them in the room, and uh, they were, uh, they're brave people, these Gamecocks that live here in Tiger Country. Like, we don't like you, but good job. I mean, it's, it's nice that you're loyal to your team. Now, I will tell you this we watch just antenna news, just the bunny ears news in our house, and uh, the president of WYFF4 gave an editorial this week. And he was saying how good it is to be a Carolinian. And he was talking about how we share across the board a uh, national championship in men's basketball in North Carolina, a national championship in baseball with uh, Coastal, a national uh, championship for football in uh, Clemson, and a national championship for women's, in, uh, uh, women's basketball in, from South Carolina. And uh, I'm sure he's going to get fired because you do not share these things. South Carolina and Clemson, they're rivals. We don't share. We don't celebrate. None of this stuff, you know. But anyway, Gamecock fans, good on you for being so brave. I bring up yesterday 60,000 people in, the, uh, in our town. I bring that up because it kind of mirrors um, today 
It kind of mirrors the day that we are celebrating, the day that we are remembering today. Jesus was triumphantly marched into Jerusalem, and uh, he, is, he is there. And we've heard in Scripture different times when the ground is so holy that you must take your feet off to step on it. But instead, this time, the people realize that Jesus is so holy, the ground is not worthy of Jesus. And they remove their coats, they, they put them on the ground so that the donkey Jesus is on can, doesn't even have to touch the ground, and they wave palm branches, which is why we call it Palm Sunday, and they are celebrating, Hosanna, Hosanna, our Savior has come, our new King is here. This is amazing. And then... We look at our notes um, where we're going today, and I have to tell you, I love getting to share someone else's pulpit, but when a pastor calls you to come and speak on a big day like Palm Sunday, my nerves got, they cranked up, because this is a big day. This is a very big day. This is the, the beginning of Holy Week. This is it, and there is so much here, and I didn't really, I, I wanted God's direction on where to go, and uh as I have done this, this is the kind of message that affects the pastor. And so I'm going to do my best to keep my nerves down as I'm sharing with you. Because Palm Sunday, Jesus started the day with a parade thrown for him. And we're, where we're talking about today is actually Thursday night. And so you see in your notes this, this phrase, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. And I was told by all of my religion professors, some of which who are in here, when you talk Bible words that you don't know, just sound confident. So, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. I'm sure that's how it goes. And it's, it means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? These are strong words. These are very strong words that describe someone who is having a bad day. So, I want you to imagine with me... Um, that it is Thursday night. And it's Thursday night, and Jesus has just shared the bread and the wine with his disciples. He's just had the first meal that we remember as communion. And he's watched Judas rush out of the room because he's the one that's going to betray him. And he's told his very best friend, we see so much closeness between uh, Peter and, and Jesus. We see so much love between Peter and Jesus. And he's told Peter that he is going to deny him. And Peter spent the whole time whining about that. And now Jesus, um, things are only going to get worse. And Jesus needs some time because it's been a big week and it's about to be a really big next couple of hours, really. Um, and he needs some time. So he does the one thing that is so familiar to him. He gets away and he goes to pray. He goes to be with his dad. He goes to be with daddy. And only this time, the burden is so heavy that his body, he, he can't bear it. And uh, we don't really know what happened. It's just something ruptured inside of him under the stress and the strain. And he, he cries out in agony. He's praying to God for strength to, to handle what's coming. And scripture says he sweats blood. And we're diving right in today. Um, sometimes I love what Jesus says in scripture of those who won't get it, won't get it. Because um, our Jesus, he is such an amazing person. He is such an amazing son of God and fully man. And I'll tell you what, my generation doesn't read our Bible enough. 
We don't read our Bible enough. We don't look at how strong this is. And we take someone, we take our parents and our grandparents' word for it. And we listen to what they said. And we are just like, yeah, I get that. But as I have been opening this word to this month, this month, this week, preparing for this, this has messed with me. Because the world who stands against Jesus says Jesus was a really good man. And he was a man, and he was special, he was a prophet, miraculous things happened through him, but he was a man. He was just Jesus, the good guy. And the Christian world has overcompensated. And I have heard sermons, and I I have heard pastors say, and I've heard kind of theories say, Jesus is God. And some of these things are easy for him. He is Superman God. But no. It's so important today, and so as we, as we really dive in, I need you to focus in with me that my God, my Jesus, my Savior, your Savior, was fully God, and he was fully man. Both are so equally important um, because, again, he's sweating blood. He's sweating blood. He's having an intense, intense moment, and we love our Jesus. We love our God, and he is our Savior. But today, what's important is we realize that we marvel at the obedient man that God is. And right now, he's sweating blood. When you bleed, if you are bleeding, and let's say that you have a cut on your hand or your head or your face or whatever, and you don't realize that it happened, and then you see the blood, what do you do? You freak out. Well, Jesus is in a garden. He's praying so hard. He's just praying so hard because of the strength that he needs and he's bleeding and I'm sure he is freaking out. Our God, our Jesus is a human being. He was actually hungry when he was fasting for 40 days. He was actually tempted in the wilderness, uh, which means he was actually tempted to sin. Too many people have a hard time with this. It's almost like that's too dangerous to realize that Jesus might have been tempted. We don't want to think that way, but it's so real. Our Jesus was tempted. It's so true that our Jesus was actually upset and angry in the temple earlier in this week. And he actually had a fit of rage, a righteous rage. It is so true. It is so real that our friend, our God, our Jesus was so hurt when his friends passed away, um, when Lazarus died, we see human, human Jesus. He's a human. And Jesus right now is pleading for, to his father, my God, I need you. My, my daddy, I need you. And uh, something happens. He sweats blood. Not long after this time, things kind of speed up. Judas comes back and he does exactly what he's been paid to do. And Jesus, this obedient man, is bound willingly. He is marched off willingly to a trial in a courts that he is very aware of. He's he's seen these courts. This is nothing new to him. The difference is, this is now early, early morning. And the light of the day is not here yet. And he... Is, he's in the courts, and the open lights are not on yet, but everyone's there. And they're having a cloak and dagger trial. They're having a meeting that says, we have got to put this to an end. They want him dead. 
And so he has marched from place to place. People who arrested Jesus are the Jewish religious leaders, and he is messing with the festival. There are thousands and thousands of people there. Maybe it looks like an orange and white game as far as how exciting it is in Jerusalem. But they are used to things that are in their control, and they are ready to end what Jesus has been doing. And so they take him to people who have power to do what needs to be done to make sure that he is dead. And so they take him to these people and they say, what, what did he do? And his accusers paint this picture of our Jesus who is claiming to be the son of God. He is claiming he's, it's blasphemy. He is breaking our rules. He's breaking our laws. He's breaking our, our traditions. He is messing with what has always been. And we want him dead. And the big wigs who have this, uh, this authority say, so we can't kill him. You want to punish him. Punish him. That's fine. I'm not going to kill him. And so our Jesus is actually flogged with sticks. He is flogged 39 lashes from, from sticks. And then um, that's, that's not enough. They need more. And so uh, maybe you've seen the depiction of, of uh, the Passion of the Christ where he's flogged with sticks and they move on to more torture. They move on to a device called the uh, Cat of Nine Tails. And it's, a, it's a, a handle with a cluster of leather with bone and metal and, and uh, rock that is tied to it. And the whole idea is pure torture. And it's terrible torture. It's designed to grab flesh and pull it away. And uh, the reason I bring up Passion of the Christ is because the actor who played the role of Jesus in the film, he had to film this. And he filmed it with a, a guard, a cover on his back. And uh, he, he was protected. One strap caught his side. One strap caught his side and it ripped away just as it was meant to do. And the actor had to receive immediate medical attention and couldn't film for a week. But our Jesus takes 39 lashes from this, 39 lashes that he is just, he doesn't even have a back anymore. And the people are not happy. They need more out of this man because he is really messing with them. And so they say, no, we want him put to death. Do you hear what we're saying? And in the Roman um, Empire, because Jesus is not fighting, because Jesus is being obedient, he's being accused of being a false king. And the Roman Empire says, okay, you've, you're, you're forcing us to do this. We'll do it. We'll put him on a cross. And this is where we pick up. It's Matthew 27. I've put some of the paraphrase in the notes, so we'll see it on, on, uh, on the screens and in your notes. I'm reading more than what you'll see. I just want you to listen to this um, because it's so powerful. The soldiers assigned to the governor took Jesus into the governor's palace and got the entire brigade together for some fun. They stripped him and dressed him in red toga. They plaited a crown from branches of, of a thorn bush and sat it on his head. They put a stick in his hand as a scepter, and they knelt before him, mocking reverence. Bravo, king of the Jews, they said. Bravo. Then they spit on him, hit him. When they had had their fun, they took off the toga and put, on, put his clothes um, back on him. And there they proceeded to the crucifixion. 35, verse 35 through 40 say, after they had finished nailing him to the cross, so we skipped a little, but after they had finished nailing him to a cross and were waiting for him to die, they uh, wiled away the time by throwing dice for his clothes above his head. There was a sign that posted criminal charge against him. 
This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Along with him were also crucified two criminals, and one on his right, the other on his left. People passing along the road jeered, shaking their heads. You bragged. These are the people that threw him the parade. You bragged that you could tear down the temple and then rebuild it in three days. So show us your stuff. Save yourself. If you're really God's son, come down from that cross. The high priest, along with the religion scholars and leaders, were right there mixing it up with the rest of them, having a great time. Yesterday, part of the orange and white game is to go in and do some tailgating. These people are tailgating Jesus' death. It's kind of crazy to think about. And they say, he saved others. Why can't he save himself? King of Israel is he? Then let him get down from that cross. We'll all be amazed then. We'll all be believers then. If he was so sure of God, we'll let him uh, rescue his son now if he wants him. Even a criminal who was next to him joined him in the mockery. And then from noon to three, the whole earth was dark. Around mid-afternoon, Jesus groans from the depths. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And verse 50, Jesus crying out loudly, breathed his last. So let me pray with us. Jesus, we've painted a picture, and we, we can't believe some of what we've read and what we've heard. Because you are our God, you are our Savior. And we are mere people. And one of the craziest things is that you brought yourself to us, and you lowered yourself to our level. And so now, God, there are amazing truths that we get to discuss because you are so good and you were so brave. In the midst of fear, in the midst of anguish, you were obedient. And so now, God, as we talk about your word, I ask again that you would calm me and that you would allow me to share your truth. God, this word has changed my life, and I pray that those who will hear it today will be prompted by you. It's in your name I pray. Amen. What a day, right? Jesus has had one of the worst days I think we could ever think of. He shared a meal with his friends. They left. They've whined. They've really been not great friends. Judas comes in and uh, betrays him with a kiss. And it's really, really hard stuff. And I'd like to really just pick us all up because it was super, super hard to get through what we just did. So really, please breathe with me. Ready? Okay. Let's change gears entirely. Who grew up going to the park with your parents? Anybody? I did. I grew up right here in Central until I was five. And uh, my favorite park, I think on earth, was the railroad park. There's the caboose in the middle of Central. There's an amazing walking uh, track. And then there is a playground down the hill. And my parents took me there often, and we played there often. I went um, with, my, uh, with my mom to mother's group there, and a lot of us boys played. Uh, the Tegans, the Smootses, the uh, Molossos, the Boyers, we went. And it was there that I threw sand in Philip Boyer's eyes, and he cried, and I laughed a lot. Uh, it was there that I slipped in the mud Uh, which was a big mud puddle, big red clay mud puddle, and I slipped and I fell into a tree and I broke my arm and I cried and Philip Boyer laughed a lot. Um, We were all boys. We were all very much boys. We all had uh, torn 
torn pants and bruised knees and scratched arms and broken bones occasionally because we were boys. Uh, another one of my very good friends was uh, Ben Harris. I just said his name, called him out and everything. There he is. So, um, yeah, we were, uh, we were all boy. And one particular day, my dad took me um, to the park, and it was the best park. You see, the, uh, the playground, they have, like, decided recently that when they build playgrounds, they should incorporate safety. And that's a dumb thing. Uh, the way the playgrounds were was a lot better. Um, they, um, they, it used to be a huge wooden playground, and you could climb it the way you were supposed to, or you could climb all the way to the top of it and defy death. Um, you could, uh, they had a huge platform seesaw that you could put multiple people on, and me and my friends, we treated it as kind of a launching pad. And so we'd put one on one, and then five on the other would jump, and they'd up and back down on the ground. Or um, they had uh, the, the fireman's pole. I learned at that park that you have to hold on to the fireman's pole to slide down it. If you just jump off the platform, all you do is fall. You have to hold on to it. Or um, the slide. They had, I don't know how this was ever legal, they had the straight, shiny metal slide. And it only got to like 485 degrees in the sun. And uh, when you slid down that thing, you flew and you were burnt. So um, when, you when you decided to go to the park, if you were going to slide, you didn't wear shorts. And you had to think about this when you were choosing your wardrobe for the day. It's a sliding day. I'm going to wear pants. Um, so that's that. And then my favorite, maybe everyone's favorite, I feel like, the swings. That park offered two different kinds of swings. It offered a tire swing that was horizontal instead of vertical. And so you could spin, 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 or you could swing on that tire swing. And then my all-time favorite are the tall, amazing chain-link swings with the piece of rubber that comes under you. You could fly. You could just absolutely go so high on those swings. And my dad has brought me to the park this day. And he and I have spent time at the caboose because you got to go check out the red caboose in Central. Then we were up on the field and we uh, threw a Frisbee. And I don't know if they passed these out yesterday, but you, everyone had those little orange Clemson balls that had been thrown out at games. We threw one of those around. And then finally, we went down to the park and I played on the playground. And then my favorite, the swings. And my dad would push me on the swings, and we had so much fun. I thought my dad was hilarious. And I, there is nothing as a dad that makes me feel better when my son cackles at me, when he laughs so hard at the stupid things I do. And my, um, my dad would push me on the swing and then run in front of me, you know, like this. And the, the swing would come back, and they would come back, and I thought I was going to hit my dad. And he'd ooh, jump out of the way real fast, you know, that kind of stuff. My dad was hilarious, and he was my daddy. And I loved him, and I trusted him. And I was about five, maybe going on six. I was a big boy when we're playing on the playground this day. And there's some other kids playing, and they're jumping out of the swings. And I asked my dad, can I do that? He said, yes, yeah, son, you can do it. And I asked how, and he said, all you do is you let go. And he explained to me that you don't let go here, and you don't let go here. You let go right here, and you jump forward out of a swing. Well, I'm starting to think about this, and I'm starting to get scared. 
Uh, remember I told you my boy was brave yesterday? That was not me. I was holding on to these chains tight and thinking about letting go, I was reluctant. And I started asking my dad some questions. Dad, can you catch me? Do you have me? Yeah, son, I've got you. Daddy, will you, you'll catch me. I'll catch you, son. And so I'm working up the, the, the courage. And so the swing goes back and it goes forward. I'm going to let go. No, I can't. I can't. I can't. The swing goes back. I'm going to let go. I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't. Finally, I'm going to do this. And my dad's talking to me. Come on, son. You can do it. I'm going to catch you. So the swing goes back. Everything goes slow motion. It's my first uh, experience with adrenaline. Slow, slow, slow. Forward, forward, forward. I should have jumped, but I hesitated just a second. And so of letting go here, I let go here. And I flew like a rocket. And there's a memory of this adrenaline because you go slow motion. I looked down at my dad. And he looked up at me. And I landed on the ground in the sand behind my dad. And he turned around, he picked me up real fast. What did I do? Lost it. I cried my eyes out. Why? Because I fell and hurt myself? No. Because I was scared from flying? No, that was amazing. I lost it because my dad promised me he would catch me. But he didn't. My heart was broken. And as a five-year-old going on six, I don't know how to process what just happened, but my dad let me down. Man, it was terrible. And it's a memory I'll always have. If anyone knows abandonment in their lives, in their life, it's Jesus. We know that from this point, at this point, his dad, Joseph, who raised him, is no longer living. We've seen account after account in just his ministry, just these couple of years, we've seen Jesus is rejected by those who were closest to him. People said, you're the dork carpenter from down the road. You're not the son of God. You're not, you're not who you're saying you are. His own brothers, there are passages in scripture of uh, Jesus' younger brothers who viewed him as the brat older brother, who got all the attention because he was like son of God or something like that. They didn't want to hear this anymore. One of his very best friends betrayed him. His, one of his inner circle has completely denied him, has been whining about it, and now he's been beat up, he's been beat down, he's been put down, he's been cussed, he's been mocked, he's been spit on, and the whole world is screaming, Jesus, you are such a loser. It's a hard day for any man or any woman, even Jesus. All throughout Lent, I have been reading and I have been looking at Jesus because he's my hero. And this is the Jesus we're talking about, the Son of God. He is actually God. But he's, he's now a human and he's a man. And on the cross, he is being obedient even in the point of death. And he's saying, Father, forgive them. All of this terrible stuff, Jesus, one of the first things he says hanging up on a cross is forgive them. Forgive the people who are doing this. Forgive the people who are coming because they don't understand. And if they did, they wouldn't be doing it. But right now, forgive them. He says, Father, forgive them. He says to one of his uh, fellow um, 
men who are dying beside him, he says to them, I promise you, today you will be in paradise with me. Jesus, the man, not the super God, the man spots his mother in the crowd and he says, Mom, this is it. And he has one of his best friends there and he says, will you take care of my mom, please? Please? And so we look at all of this and now he's saying, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? You see, all through his life, there was one thing. In his point of anguish, there was one thing. He always could go to daddy. Daddy always had him. Always. But now... Jesus has taken on the one thing that separates man from God. He's taken on everyone's sin. He's taken on the sin that's surrounding him. He's taken on my sin. He's taken on your sin. And so for the very first time, Daddy, do you have me? And for the first time, there's no answer. This is the cry of Jesus on the cross, and here's the beauty of it. This is in your notes. This is the cry of Every single person on earth. It is our pain. It is our fear. It is our hurt. It is our despair. Finally being given a voice. It is the cry of God fully entering into our broken condition. And fully experiencing the the sense of separation from God that sin causes. And crying out in anguish and despair over this sense of loss. He says, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? But this is the amazing truth. This is why we talk about this. It's the next point. God has not abandoned you. He has not abandoned me. Without Jesus, that's where we're headed. But thankfully, because God was willing to become the same flesh as you and me and was tempted to do something wrong because he experienced the same flesh, And had the same sinful nature. Do you know that Jesus, the human being, had a sinful nature, but yet overcame that? He was without sin. He could could be the sacrifice. He could be the one that, that we were supposed to be, and he could show us. What about sin? What about my sin? He covered it. What about my guilt? What about the fact that you don't know who I am? You don't know what I did. I I I have worse than that. Nope. He covered it. What about shame? What about the fact that I I don't have any self-worth? What about the fact that I'm terrible? He thought you were beautiful. He decided you were worth it. He covered it. He covered it. He was separated from God. Since Jesus was obedient to the end, and since Jesus took on the sin, and at the end of his life for the first time was separated from God, you and I never have to be. He broke the barrier. And so now, the the power of God is welcomed into the world. The power of God is something that you and I can embrace. Because the only man who lived as a fully man and fully God was separated from his daddy. None of us ever have to be. And this is why we're here. This is why it's church season. This is why this time of the year, it's it's, it's literally the calendar. It's like clockwork. The whole world says, is there really hope here? Is there really hope? Should I go check out church on Easter? Yeah. This is why we're here. 
He felt all the fear. He felt all of the, uh, the, the emotions of emptiness, of aloneness. He, w- he was faced with that for the first time. He embraced it. He died with it. And God changed everything. Daddy answered. And he answered for all of us. It, it was a moment of despair that turned into the most beautiful thing on earth. And so now, my daddy might not have me. My mom might not have me. My children, my family might not have me. My friends might not have me. But my God promises he has me. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's a truth that we must embrace. And then the challenge to you, church, because I know this God. He's changed my life. And I hope you do too. The challenge is the world's looking for hope. And next week is Easter, and there is a program inside everyone's brain to think maybe there's hope in that church. But it's our job to get them. It's our job to bring them in. It's our job to make this house full because this is real and this is that truth. Our God, our fully God Jesus is our Savior. Our Jesus who is fully man, he's amazing. He's amazing. He did what I couldn't. And now I don't have to, but I must embrace it. So let's pray. Jesus, you are so good. It's amazing to look at you, to open your word, to be blown away by it. God, it's amazing to realize that you did the impossible. It's amazing to realize that you opened the door, broke the barrier, you ripped the curtain, and now the same resurrection power that was in you, you made available to me through your, through your, your sacrifice and now through your spirit. God, we've been challenged by your word, and it's taken us to a hard place today, but the truth is so important that the world must hear And so I pray, God, that you would put on our hearts maybe someone new or maybe someone who we've been worried about for a long time. I pray for the the, uh, children in this room that might literally be praying for their mommy or their daddy. I know, God, that family can be one of the hardest places to ever consider pulling someone into the church. But, God, give us assurance that you are able. God, for the parents who are praying for children, that you would grab their lives. Give them authority, give them uh, assurance that you are so good and that you you have the power, you have the ability. Help us to claim that this week and help us to fill your house, not because Easter is such a fun celebration, but because Easter is the hope of the world. God, you're the hope of the world and we give you today. I thank you for the chance to share in this place and to share from your word. You're so good, God. It's in your name I pray. Amen. So may this be the authority you take from this place today. May you go and bring them in. And may someone else know this truth because of what God's done through you. You're dismissed.